On today's trading ratings episode, Dan and I will be discussing movies directed by Kevin Smith. everyone welcome to brandon at random reviews i am your host brandon griffiths thank you for stopping by i do appreciate it now today on the show we've got something a little different for those who are not familiar with this special trading ratings format you're in luck because we're doing something a little different today for this episode so this is the premise dan and i have selected director kevin smith as a subject But for a little change of pace, Dan was the sole chooser of all six movies that we'll be talking about since he's a bigger fan of Kevin Smith than I am. We'll discuss these select six movies in order of release, starting with the earliest. For each movie, Dan and I will discuss and share how we rate each of these movies on a scale going from E being the worst all the way through DCBA and S, and to clarify, S is the best rating we can give. It's an elite level rating. It's the best of the best. So now I'll, I'll turn it over to Dan, and he'll talk a little bit about Kevin Smith's background. All right. So, yeah, like like Brandon said, uh, this time we're going to be looking at Kevin Smith's movies, and we're going to kind of be going through his, his uh, chronology, his filmography, if you will. Uh, talking about the movies he's made. So Kevin Smith broke out of the scene with the independently produced Clerks in 1994. Uh, After attending a half year of film school in Vancouver, he dropped out, returned to his hometown in New Jersey, and proceeded to make a movie basically about him and his friends filmed at a convenience store uh, where he worked, the actual store where he worked. Uh, It was the epitome of indie. It was very personal, and it was extremely unique at the time. In a time before nerd culture was mainstream, he was writing jokes and extended dialogue about Star Wars and comic books. Uh, Love him or hate him, he has consistently been ahead of his time while drawing heavily from his influences, be it Star Wars references or filmmakers like uh, Richard Linklater and John Hughes. And despite often disappointing returns to the box office, all of his movies have eventually found an audience and made money on the aftermarket, which has enabled him to continue making movies. Uh, so my own personal history with, uh, becoming a Kevin Smith fan, uh, I saw clerks and mall rats in high school and loved them. I was during college that I really got into Kevin Smith's work as at the beginning of my freshman year of college, I got a giant clerks poster for my dorm room and I somehow acquired a mall rats VHS uh, tape for like dirt cheap. I don't remember where I got it, but it basically ended up on loop in the background in my dorm room, like all year long. We were just constantly, you know, if it was like having the radio on in the background. We just had mall rats on. It's at around this time where I became enamored with the fact that his movies, though unrelated in terms of plot, all existed within the same universe, referred to as the View Askew universe, named after his production company, View Askew. 
they're very self-referential with minor or even completely unseen characters and events being referenced in different movies. So, for example, a character named Julie Dwyer dying while swimming in the local YMCA pool is is mentioned in all three of his first movies. You never see her. You never see the event. But it keeps coming up as a a referenced plot point that other things sometimes revolve around. Uh, you would even see the same actors, many of them as friends and family in his movies, sometimes playing the same character each time, some plot, sometimes not. Uh, for example, his friends, Brian Johnson, Walt Flanagan appear in more than one movie as Steve, Dave and fanboy. Uh, they, they keep popping up with kind of the same line. <laughs> Tell them Steve, Dave is what one of them yells at the other one. Uh, And it's sort of similar to like a John Hughes type situation where, you know, he would reuse cast members and they would all take place in this fictional Chicago suburb called Shermer in Illinois. And it's a parallel that he eventually explicitly calls out in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, if you've seen that, where Jay and Silent Bob just uh, explained that they ended up in Illinois because they wanted to because they saw John Hughes movies and they wanted to be the only weed dealers in Shermer. And they thought they'd get all the chicks because as Jay says, all the dudes in Shermer are whiny pussies, except Judd Nelson. He was harsh. (laughs) So, so they end up in Shermer because of John Hughes. Uh, So I started falling down the view askew rabbit hole. uh, Something I'm prone, prone to do when I get into something as we've discussed before on this podcast. Uh, And I found that Kevin Smith had this whole online community. And again, this is in an era before social media. He had this really active message board and a whole online like world where fans could talk to him, talk to each other, interact. He had tons of merch available at his website. Uh, It was, you, you could get it autographed and, you know, he, he like autographed posters and mail them to you. Uh, they, they even had uh, branded action figures or as he called them inaction figures, because at the time it was a joke referencing coll- collectible action figures that were all the rage right then, but were literally just stationary statues. They weren't, there was nothing action about them. So he called them inaction figures. Uh, so for this rate, episode of Trading Ratings, as mentioned, we're going to go through a selection of Kevin Smith movies. Uh, Since my list is unsurprisingly going to be very top-heavy, I'm a big fan, uh, always have been, Uh, we're not going to go from worst to best as we normally do. We're going to go in chronological order, starting with his first movie and going through his career. Um, We're not going to cover all of them because as long-winded as Brandon and I are, uh, that would require an entire series unto itself. Uh, As Brandon mentioned earlier, we just chose six, or I chose six. Um, I did front-load it a little bit. I can't imagine talking about Kevin Smith and his career without covering the first four movies that he made. So we are going to talk about all four of the first four, and then we're going to skip a bit. Um, We'll gloss over uh, the stuff we don't cover. Um, I intend to gloss over the sequels. I don't intend to cover Jay and Silent Bob Strike back in depth because that was already covered in a previous episode. You can find that, uh, Brandon, at Random Episode, wherever you find fine podcasts. And we're not going to cover Red State in depth because, quite honestly, it's not streaming anywhere. <laughs> and uh, uh, so it's it's a tough one to see. 
Um, so before we start, let me just apologize now uh, in advance for getting potentially very deep in the weeds. Um, I've watched all the DVD special features over the last 20 plus years. I've listened to all the DVD commentary tracks multiple times. I've read most of his books. So I can really nerd out heavily while talking about these movies, and I'm prone to do so. So uh, feel free, Brandon, to jump in and stop me if I really go down too deep and, you know, start talking about, you know, his dog's name and stuff like <laughs> I, I will do my best <laughs> all right so with that um we'll we'll move on to the first one so the first one clerks 1994 this was the the first movie that that broke him out onto the scene um it was a a small independent film like i said that he he financed himself shot at the 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 convenience store where he worked uh, for very, very small amount of money. And I, and my synopsis of this movie is a day in the life of a convenience store clerk who has come in on his day off to put up with shenanigans of customers, his friend that works at the video store next door, and girlfriends past and present. Hilarity ensues. <laughs> you always <laughs> punctuate your synopses with something ensues. Anyway. Yeah, yes. And I intend to do that five more times. <laughs> yes. So spoiler alert. <laughs> I mean, like to give an idea of like there's like low budget and then there's low budget like clerks from 1994. I mean, as far as I know, Kevin Smith was maxing out credit cards. They shot it in black and white because it was cheaper. It was just the the very lowest amount of money that or you know, the the most that Kevin Smith could afford, which was presumably not very much at the time so i mean it's that just kind of explains a little bit about why it is like it is yeah yeah to put it in perspective he uh he he made it for like twenty seven thousand dollars and he had to max out all his credit cards to do so and at the time he was like freaking out that he was had just mounted like a lifetime of credit card debt right. <laughs> that he was never gonna bear like you know dig his way out of and $27,000 in the movie world is like, you know, that's like the craft services food table, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, but yet, go ahead. You, you mentioned uh, uh, the black and white shooting to save money because it was cheaper. It was not only the cheaper camera, but he couldn't afford professional lighting. And shooting it in a convenience store at night to get around like the fluorescent lights and stuff like it would, I guess it would have had this green tint. So they were like, well, let's just shoot it in black and white. Then we don't have to worry about lighting either. It'll right. just kind of take care of itself. And then there's even little things that they do in the movie that work their way in the script. So like you'll, it, you, you remember at the beginning of the movie, he comes in and gum has been jammed in the, in the lock of the shutter. So he can't get yep. the shutter open. That was a plot device that he added into the script based on the fact that he had to, film all the do all the film work in the store after hours so it was the middle of the night and right. right behind the register were the windows for outside so in order to get around the fact that it would be like nighttime at noon or in the unlikely event he did shoot out shoot during the day and you've got this huge backlight coming in he just said well what if we just for for some reason he can't get the shutters open and so therefore they're constantly shut behind him <laughs> Right. That was a that was a plot device. Yeah. So, you know, little things like that, right? Yeah, it's it's pretty wild, honestly. Like the the lengths he had to go to to even make it like 
somewhat presentable as a movie, you know? But, so, I mean, the, the movie starts off, and, I mean, that's, you know, like Dan said in his synopsis, you know, it's this convenience store clerk, uh, Dante. He's sleeping, and he gets a call from, I guess, his boss, and essentially it's like the boss is telling him he has to come in even though it's his day off and he's like going to make him work that day. And it's like, it's like, he is so pissed, you know, it's like he, he had shit he was going to do. He just, you know, he had all this stuff planned out. He had this hockey game, all this stuff. And it's like his boss just like, will not let him get out of it. So, I mean, essentially that like sets the tone. It's like, he's, you're about to watch, what starts off as a very bad day for Dante. And it just, it so much stuff happened. I mean, just so many things that, you know, it's like he he's used to dealing with that he hates is like all of a sudden it's on top of the fact that he's already not supposed to be there today. And it's just, it infuriates him. And it's just, I mean, it's a, it's, if you've ever worked customer service, retail, or even food service, it's, very relatable. I mean, it's, it's a, yeah. Yeah. Anybody who's ever spent time behind a counter or a register can relate to some of the things he has to deal with and the customers and stuff. Um, and, and even, you know, building on, on the idea that, you know, that it, this character, you know, he has to come in and deal with all this, you know, same shit, different day, whatever it's drawn directly from his life. I mean, like I said before, it's literally, filmed at the convenience store where he worked at the time. And it's based on him and his friend, Brian Johnson in real life is the, is the Randall character. He's the Dante character, Brian Johnson or the Randall character is based on Brian Johnson. And a lot of the dialogue was lifted like directly from actual conversations that they, they had had and like funny things that they had observed and things like that. So like, when I say it was like, it was a personal movie, not in that, like it was deep down, you know, like from his heart and soul, but in the sense that like, this was literally him putting on screen versions of himself and his friends on camera. Right. And even his friends come through playing the small parts. His friend, Walt Flanagan shows up in f- as four different characters throughout the movie. The producer, <laughs> Scott Mosier shows up as two different characters during the movie. The uh, director of photography shows up at one point as one of the obnoxious customers. Um, his mother is the lady looking, f- sitting on the floor, looking for the perfect gallon of milk is actually Kevin Smith's mother. <laughs> like, like there's all these people just from, from around town that come and go that were like actual friends and family and stuff. Um, so like, and that ends up being kind of a recurring theme that you'll see in his later movies as well, in particular, the next two that we're going to talk about. But he just kept drawing directly from his life and being like, well, this would be a funny story to tell. And I think that's at the time one of the things that was unique, though, not the first time it ever been done, certainly. But it's it's less of a plot arc as just like these people hanging out, having funny conversations all day. Right. And that kind of draws on, you know, I mentioned Richard Linklater earlier, like the guy who made Days and Confused. Similarly, it's just a bunch of funny characters 
hanging out during a day in their lives. Of, you know, something maybe mildly spectacular is happening in the sense that it's just enough to like serve as a plot device to, to <laughs> keep things moving forward, but not in the sense that like, you know, aliens are invading the earth or anything. It's yeah, just like, you, there's you know. not like a collective, <laughs> like overarching thing going on. Right. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah. So, and it's, it's for all the, the amateurish kind of, you know, there's there's some less than stellar acting at times, right? Because mm-hmm. again, none of them were professional actors. Uh, right. It was his first attempt at even directing. But there's like, again, another th- thing that, you know, recurs in his movie. There's just like this killer dialogue, right? Like right. hilarious lines delivered in, in ways and using language that I don't think a lot of people were using at the time, you know? Uh, references to, like I said earlier, uh, you know, they're, they're having these like extended dialogue about star Wars and the, the, the contractors that would have been building the death star, (laughs) you know, and like, this was a time, you know, it's, it's, it's hard or it's easy to lose sight now all these years later, but at the time this was before the star Wars prequels had come out. This was before people were like talking about this stuff on camera. You right. know, this was, this was at a time where, you know, it was, it was before nerd culture was the mainstream and it was just that it was very f- kind of fringy things. He was talking about that him and his friends always talked about, but like he was kind of proving right off the bat, that like there's an audience for this, this kind of stuff, you know? Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it does. And that, and that's like a, yeah, a continuing theme in his movies, like at least, especially the ones with Jay and silent Bob, like just talking star Wars. It's like a given, you know, it's just, it, I, I just remember specifically like Jay and silent Bob strike back. Jay says that Dante and Randall got married, dressed as stormtroopers, and you know, all that stuff. So it's, it's clearly like an important thing to Kevin Smith. Like right. he loves his star Wars. Yes. Yes. It, and it's stuck through, you know, I think just about every movie ha- ends up with a star Wars reference at some point other than maybe mall rats, because it's all, you know, comic books, which we'll get right. to, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, so like, let's talk about like, cause since we talked about Kevin Smith's mom with the milk, like let's just talk about some of these customers that come into the store. I mean, they're they're such like real characters to me like it's just like yeah there there are people like that out there that like want to make the perfect dozen eggs or whatever you know like they just people have to have everything a certain way and it's like they're shopping at a convenience store you know they're not even grocery shopping they're at this convenience store that clearly isn't the best place to look and it's like of course, early on, you get the uh, Chuli's gum salesman that is parading around as this anti-smoking advocate that is really just trying to get people to buy gum. And everybody's just, you know, he's got this, what, what, what is it, like a, a, a smoker's like a lung? burnt lung, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> okay, I mean, that's... Wow. Yeah. And so, I mean, like that, this guy's just going and he's turning all of these customers against Dante and it's like, they don't, they come in to buy cigarettes and then they turn around and buy Chuli's gum. And it's like, oh my God, I, I, I would be so aggravated if I were Dante. Like, I'd just be like, dude, get the fuck out of here. Like, I don't need you 
in here at all. Like, this is ridiculous. And it's like, I mean. And the best, of course, is after that whole spiel, the guy that that initiated the whole thing by trying to buy cigarettes after everybody leaves, he's just like, hey, can I have a pack of cigarettes? <laughs> you know, like, it's, yeah, it's just like nothing has sunken in at all. It, it yeah. was like real life Internet outrage. 20 years before internet outrage existed. (laughs) Right. Everybody gets angry about something for 10 minutes and then forgets about it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so ultimately like Dante's girlfriend is the one that, that breaks it up. She comes in, I think with a fire extinguisher and she's just like putting it down. And so there's, there's this conversation that is ongoing with Dante and his girlfriend, Ronnie, that like, Basically, they're just kind of talking about like their sexual experiences and things like that. And it's like she like I I can't remember what his his amount of women like the I think they call it body count on the Internet. But it's like however many girls he's fucked and she's like appalled by it. And then it's revealed that she has sucked 37 dicks in her life. And he's like, are you fucking serious? Like, and he just can't fucking believe it. And it's like, I mean, my God, like it's just, it's perfect. Like, I mean, and he's in his, in his fury, he declares to one of the customers, my girlfriend sucked 37 dicks. And the guy goes in a row. It's just brilliant. Oh, yes. I love it. I mean, it's just, it's so crazy. Like, I mean, I I like their relationship. And as as the movie goes on, you kind of find out that Dante still has a thing for this girl he used to date, I think, I think in high school, maybe. And like, she finds, he finds out that she's going to get married and he's all distraught about that. And it's like, you know, he, he's kind of hung up on that idea of like, he's never going to go get back with her. And it's just, I mean, it's, so it's like everybody basically is telling him like how dumb it is to want to be with this previous girlfriend yeah. and not just be with who he's with. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you kind of gotta, yeah, I well, mean, you gotta evaluate it. it it's it's and and again, this is like kind of something that that I think is really what made him a pretty good filmmaker or a, a good writer at least is like mm-hmm. underneath you know the thirty seven dicks jokes and stuff and the Star Wars references and whatever. There's like throughout that movie, and it's something that you see in in his later movies as well. Like the the Dante character is kind of trapped in his own expectations or like his fear of you know getting out there. And so like, he feels like, you know, it's not fair that he has to come into work today. Meanwhile, Don or Randall, the other character keeps trying to say like, you are the master of your own destiny. If you don't want to be here, don't be here. Like leave, go do something. Like even says at one point, you know, we push buttons, a monkey could do our job. Like you're not special here. Like, (laughs) you know, go. And his girlfriend is trying to get him to go to college. And meanwhile, he's hung up on this, chick from high school that constantly cheated on him that was terrible for him you know and like he the only thing that he like seems to be excited about is like old comfortable things you know right like the only change that he's willing to make is going back to something that was comfortable rather than like putting himself out there which would be better for him and which is what all the other characters around him kind of keep pushing him to do right uh, and even you know eventually you get to the point where the 
the goofy stoners, Jay and Silent <sighs> Bob, like drop some major wisdom on them that like, you know, what are you doing? You know, that, that kind of opens his eyes to like, why am I chasing this girl who's terrible for me when this other girl just brought me lasagna at work because she right. you know, wanted to be nice? <laughs> like, yeah, that's the one you should be, you know, excited about. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, well, and I mean, I'll be honest with you. The, the first time I saw this movie, I had quite the crush on Ronnie. It was just... I don't know why. Ron- I don't remember her. them calling her Ronnie ever. It's Veronica, but do they call her Ronnie? They call her. Oh, well, they call her Ronnie at some point. Must okay. be because I put it. My, but Veronica, <laughs> I'll I'll switch over to Veronica from now on. So I had to look. I was like, Ronnie, was that her name? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's my bad. If it's not actually in the movie, and I just assume it might be. It might be. I've only possible. I've only seen it like seven thousand times, so I need to see it a few more, and then I'll catch it. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I love, and I should, we should probably mention that with Dan mentioning Jay and Silent Bob, you've got Jason Muse and Kevin Smith, you know, playing Jay and Silent Bob respectively. And essentially like, I'm sure Dan, you've probably seen like, I don't know what it is. If it's like Kevin Smith, he's doing like a, like an, like a, like a I don't even like an open forum at a college or something and he's telling all of these stories yeah, and he's he did explaining. a series a series of those called an evening with Kevin Smith okay there's like three of them I think that he did like that he actually released on DVD but he he spent several years doing like touring colleges and doing spoken Q&A's that kind of turned into like stand-up acts almost because he would no matter what they asked, he would like bring it to a story that he told 7,000 times. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I, well, it's like, so he explains in one of those, uh, he explains that it, somebody asks him, Hey, Kevin Smith, why, why aren't you the star of clerks? Like, why didn't you put yourself in those shoes? And he replied simply, I think it's obvious I can't act like I, he was like, at least not at the time. Like he's, I think he's gotten better, but like when he was doing this, apparently he just couldn't act to save his life. And so he has had this, you know, silent Bob character that Mm -hmm. could be on screen and didn't have to have uh, a lot of dialogue or anything like that. Or any for that matter. (laughs) Any, right. I mean, he'll have like at the end of most movies that Jay and silent Bob are in, I don't know if there is one that he doesn't say something at the end. Like he, he will have a little something to say, but it's like, for the most part, he does not break his silence at all. Well, so, uh, uh, going into the weeds alert, uh, he actually, you know, like I said, the, the Dante character was based on him. The Randall character was based on, on his friend, Brian, who he like kind of envied, like he wanted to be Brian Johnson. Like he, his nonchalance is, I don't give a shit about anything kind of attitude. And that's why, and he actually wrote Randall for himself to play. That's why Randall has all the best lines and is all the, you know, the the funniest character in the movie. He wrote that for himself to play quickly realized that he's not a good actor and this was a terrible idea. So then he got Jeff Anderson to play, Randall and he went to play Silent Bob who had no lines and even that that like final line where he drops that wisdom that was originally wrote, written for Jason Muse 
Jay was supposed to say that. But as they were shooting, he flubbed it like 50 times in a row. He just couldn't get through it. So finally, Kevin Smith was like, well, let me try it. And like he nailed it. And so they were like, well, I actually kind of like it that way. (laughs) Like, you know, Silent Bob broke his silence just to drop some wisdom and walk away, you know. And then that became kind of a recurring theme. But originally, he wasn't supposed to have any lines. Right. And Jason Mewes, am I wrong in saying he seems super awkward in this movie? Like he seems uncomfortable on screen more so than in his later movies. Like he definitely seems just like he doesn't have that confidence like he normally does. (laughs) Yeah, you're definitely not wrong in saying that. Uh, That's another one where like apparently, I mean, Jason Mewes is basically playing himself. The Jay character was 100% based on Jason Mewes in real life. The things he says, the way he acts, that's like, it's not even an exaggerated version of Jason Mewes. It's Jason Mewes. He was like, at a, at an when they were in high school, I think it was at some point he was like, "I want to make a movie just to put my friend Jason on screen because he's insanely ridiculous, like he's absurd." And so he, uh, uh, so he wrote that part for him. He even has his actual name Jay in it, right? Jay Muse, and right. uh, and apparently there were there were scenes where he had to like clear the set because Jason Muse was so like camera shy. Which was oh yeah, which was kind of weird because this was a guy who was like known to just like whip his dick out and run around being a goofball, <laughs> and like and suddenly they were like, all right, for this scene we need you to dance, and he was like, I can't dance in front of everybody. So like that scene where they're <laughs> dancing to the boombox, they had to like clear the set because Jay Muse was so shy. <laughs> oh, I did. I read that. I think yeah, that's yeah. it's pretty great. Yeah. So, so yeah, so you know, we talked about you know the 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 low budget he made it on. He, uh, it ended up getting picked up by like Sundance film festival, I think. And, and all these like, like indie film festivals and stuff. It ended up eventually being sold to Miramax for like a few hundred thousand dollars. And essentially, excuse me, that's, that's what, you know, triggered his entire career. I mean, right. It, 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 it was kind of the launching pad for everything else. And he remained a sort of indie darling for really, to this day, his best movies are the ones that he's made himself and on low budgets uh, to an extent. Um, so I, I don't have a whole lot else to say about it other than the rating. Do you have much more to say? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, there's other so, other moments in the movie, obviously, but like, I yeah, we, we, we could we could recount our favorite, <laughs> yes, our favorite yeah. moments like, you know, till the cows come home. Right. But, uh, uh, so I gave the movie an A. Um, despite some of the bad acting and the, you know, obviously the, the amateurish, uh, production quality, uh, the cultural impact, it inspired like a generation of indie filmmakers, uh, even though he himself was also likewise inspired by indie filmmakers. Um, it kind of catalyzed something I think, uh, that was going on in Hollywood at the time or, or was, it was just starting at the time. Um, and I, I think it's an excellent movie. I, I can watch it like any day of the week. I can throw it on. Um, I give it an A. I do, yeah, I would agree with that. I, I give it an A as well. It's uh, I, I do. I particularly enjoy aside from the comedy and the, the, how grounded it all is. It's like, I really, I love the, what I would consider like a timeless message of, of like recognizing what you have and appreciating it and not always thinking about 
something else that you want or something like that. And mm -hmm. essentially, like you were talking about what Randall tells him about him being like him choosing his own destiny and like deciding these things for himself, he needs to, um, he needs to take control and accept responsibility that he might be pissed off, but he's the reason he's pissed off. So, right. I mean, that's, that's what really stands out for me. It like really holds up after all of these years. It's just, I mean, it's, it's almost, almost 30 years of this movie. Wow. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. 1994. <laughs> yeah. 29 years. Yeah. That means there's probably a new DVD version coming out next, next year. Oh yeah. Or, or, or now that we're going back into like retro, uh, mediums who knows we might see a new laser disc version oh. back in the day he was obsessed with laser discs so he's actually <laughs> quoted in one of the uh, commentaries as bashing dvds because they'll never they'll never be able to beat laser disc because later laser disc is so superior and then in the following movie he does another commentary where he apologizes for the previous one because he was <laughs> he was so wrong <laughs> yeah who'd yeah. have thunk it yeah. um yeah, so I mean that's that's all I got for that one. Um I yeah. guess I can I can lead us into the next movie if you're ready okay. for it. Yeah, okay, go ahead. So Brandon at Random Reviews artwork, theme music, and podcast are written, performed, recorded, engineered, directed, and produced by Brandon Griffiths in association with Brandon at Random Reviews Entertainment.